Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, mamas. I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and today we're talking about crucial advice for first-time homebuyers. And I'll be honest, my husband and I, we didn't have the best homeowner experience the first go-around. It had nothing to do with our incredible real estate agent who we still keep in touch with, location, or even the price we paid. We just had an enormous amount of unexpected maintenance that first year and had to really adjust our housing budget. But for many, purchasing real estate is one of the biggest financial decisions you'll make in your money life. So doing so thoughtfully is incredibly important to building wealth long-term. I've got five core tips to go over with you today to make sure you make the best decision possible for your family. As a quick reminder, you can view the full show notes of this episode and download your free Meaningful Money Goal Kickstart Guide at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 67. All right, are you ready? Let's dive in. My first piece of crucial advice for first-time homeowners is to be in it for the long term. Housing is one of the most emotional money decisions that we make. We have all these ties to housing as a sense of security and safety, as a sign of adulthood and having made it financially, not to mention the narratives that have built up around renting being throwing your money away and that you need to own a home to build wealth. There's a lot of false narrative in there, specifically if you're going to buy a house for the short term. In most cases, housing values don't appreciate significantly in just a couple of years, unless you're living in New York or San Francisco. And the transaction costs of both buying and selling a house mean that you need to see some real appreciation in your house price before you can really make money selling. According to Zillow, closing costs are 2% to 5% of the purchase price of your home on average. Not to mention when you're selling, you have to pay real estate agent commission, which can be another 4 to 6%. And so you may have lost 10% of the value of your house just to transaction costs. That's the high end, but that's still something to consider. And so if you haven't seen big growth in your pricing and you haven't built equity, you might end up at a net negative place. Usually you want to plan on being in your home for at least five to seven years to make the purchase price worth it. Now, there are instances where that's not true, right? If you're doing something like a live-in flip, which we discussed with Minty Jensen in episode 18, then you're buying a house that needs a lot of work that's undervalued because of how much work it needs. And you're going to live in there and really update it to get this increase in the price to be able to sell it and make a profit in just a couple of years. However, then you're going to need the money to do those improvements, right? And it's not what most people are doing when they're buying their first home. So if you think you're ready to buy your first home, start asking some questions about what you think the next few years will look like. How old will your kids be and what schools will they be going to? What type of work do you think that you're going to want to do? And is there a chance you're going to have to move cities or states to continue to do that work? Obviously, there's always chances that things will change, but are you really feeling settled in this location? This is another reason to do a lot of research about where you're buying. Spend some time in the neighborhood, ask questions, do a drive to the grocery store, right? Do some real testing to make sure that you're comfortable with where this house is, where where you're going to be in your life, and that you want to be there for five to seven years. Now, we're going to talk about knowing what you can't afford and how that plays into this decision as well. But I want to mention, we think about long term, if you're putting down a small down payment, 5% or even 10%, 
you have to think about that there's a greater likelihood that you end up underwater in your house. So if you're only going to be planning to be there for a short amount of time, if we see a housing downturn or we see a glut of supply in the market at the time you want to sell and pricing gets pushed down from where you purchase it, it's a lot easier to get in a place where you can't sell your home because you're going to owe money to pay the real estate agent. You're going to owe money to pay off your mortgage. And that's not a situation you want to be in, especially if you want the flexibility to move. And so you might be in a better position as a family to continue to rent a little longer until you're sure you can stay somewhere long-term until maybe you want to put down a bigger down payment to add that security to your life. I'm going to tell you a little story. So I mentioned that my husband and I's first time home buying experience was not the best. And we're going to talk through some of those things in the next steps. But one of the things is that we sold our home after about three and a half years. And so we didn't follow this rule. We completely, completely intended to stay in our house for five to seven years. It was a conversation we had. My job was secure in Boston. We liked the neighborhood. We really liked our neighbors and we planned to be there long term. But life changes, right? We have significant shifts. And so one of our significant shifts is that I decided to leave my job and staying in Boston in a high cost of living area where we weren't really near family wasn't something we needed to do anymore when I wasn't working locally. And so we decided to sell. The real estate market in Boston has been incredible and the greater Boston area has been incredible. And so we sold our house and we were one of those rare reasons where the property value increased significantly in those three years. We saw a great growth on a percentage basis. We almost saw 20% growth in the sales price. However, because of transaction costs, because of costs of maintaining the property and some of the things we're going to talk about, we think about what you can actually afford in the next step. We lost money on that transaction. And we lost money on an even greater perspective. Had we taken our down payment and invested it in the stock market instead. Now, these are things we can only know in retrospect. I wouldn't actually sit here and tell you that I wouldn't have bought that house. We loved that house. We couldn't have known the difference. We couldn't have known that life changes. But these are the questions that you want to ask. And you have to understand that with these transaction costs, with maintenance costs, you might not be making as much money on your home as you think. And so this is where I really want to mention that if you have family or friends or people in your life who are like, you're wasting money renting and that's a horrible financial decision to keep renting. That's not always really the case. And that on average, renting can be a better choice. Renting and investing the difference, investing the down payment can be a better choice for a lot of families. Not to say that housing isn't a forced savings vehicle, that by paying your mortgage every month, you're building equity, and that is a forced savings. You just not, might not see the growth that you see in the stock market. And so try to look at it a little bit differently. Try to decide why you're buying that home, how long you plan to be there, and let that drive the decision instead of, I'm trying to make an investment in myself. I'm trying to be an adult. I don't know where I'm going to be in a couple of years, but I don't want to miss this opportunity because it might not be a missed opportunity. Be in it for the long term. Our second crucial piece of advice is to know what you can actually afford. This seems obvious. What a lot of people do is they'll get the pre-approval rates for how much they can afford as a mortgage, and they take that as their budget. But if you don't really sit down with your budget and your numbers and look at the cost to maintain that property, to live in that property, and come up with a real hard number on what you are willing to pay as a family before you go looking at houses you're much more likely to get swept away by the gorgeous fireplace and the crown molding in the house that you might be able to afford, but at the expense of everything else you enjoy in your life. 
So don't just think about down payment and closing costs. Don't validate, I can afford this because closing costs are going to be wrapped into my mortgage. Think about what will it actually cost to live in and maintain your home. These are things like home insurance, property taxes, utilities, lawn care. Okay. So lawn care, if you've been renting for a long time, or maybe even you're renting a single family house, but the landlord manages the lawn, are you going to have to buy a lawnmower? Are you going to have to think about fertilizer a couple times a year so that your lawn stays well-maintained? What about landscaping and plants and things like that? What is that going to cost? And then what about general maintenance? And so general maintenance is really, really hard to time. On average, over the long-term life of your house, People estimate about 1% of the cost of the house being what it, a year to maintain it. So if you had a $300,000 house, it would cost you $3,000 a year to maintain that house. However, that's not actually how it works because some years it's going to cost you $500. Nothing's really going to break. Maybe you need a new outlet, but everything is fine. And then one year you're going to need a new roof and it's going to cost you $20,000 to put a whole new roof on the house. And you can't necessarily time when that's going to happen, right? And so this is an example of what happened to us in our first house. So that first year in our house was a homeowner disaster. Three days after we closed and moved into our new house, it was the worst winter Boston has ever seen. Boston broke its snow record in just the month of February for the entire winter. So it had barely snowed at all until the beginning of February when we bought our house, and then we broke Boston's records. And that meant that we had this ice dam. I was setting up something in the house, and all of a sudden I heard dripping. And I come into the foyer, and there's water dripping down. And so I ran upstairs, and there's water dripping in the corner of our bedroom, up in the attic, all the way down to the basement. And so we had to call contractors and home insurance and figure out what was going on, except everyone in Boston was having this problem. So it took us until May to get it fixed. We just had water in the house. And we did some things on our own to try to dry it out, but we had water in our house. And so we had to fix that. And then that summer, our HVAC system blew and we needed a whole new HVAC system. Then this is the craziest part. We had a covered deck in the back of our house. I loved this covered deck. I miss it so much. The wood was starting to splinter and really become a little bit dangerous, and we were preparing to have our first child, and so I wanted to get the decking redone. So we called a couple different contractors to come in and look at the decking, and one of the contractors said, huh, your supports that are holding up the roof over the covered deck are bowing. And as soon as we looked, we could see that there's this bend, and he was like, so to hold up a load-bearing roof, this should be a six-by-six pillar it's a four by four. That's why it's Boeing because you can't actually hold up the house. So he continued to look at the project. He got under the deck and saw that the deck, the covered deck was not actually attached to the house, which is a code, major code violation for something that is load bearing. And so we had to fix that. So he comes out and he looks at us and he says, I'm so sorry. I can't work on this project. I can't even redeck without fixing this because I won't be able to get the proper permitting and because this simply isn't safe. And so we called someone else to get a quote. They said the same thing. And so we had to jack the roof up on the back of the deck, rebuild the entire deck, attach it to the house, put in new supports. And a project that was supposed to cost us like 800 bucks cost us like $12,000. It was horrible. And so all of these costs over time Well, not the code violation, because they should have just built the house right in the first place. But all of these costs happened in the first year. And so, well, maybe the maintenance on that house was 1% a year over 30 years. For us, 
it was massive, right? It was massive in that first year. And so understanding what can happen, and this is something that I want to bring up, is that when you look at what you can actually afford, please, please, please do not drain your emergency fund to pay a down payment. Because while you might think, well, we're not going to do any major maintenance, we won't do any major projects until a year or two after we buy the house, we're just going to move in and live as in it as is, you don't know what's going to happen. Your HVAC system could blow. And so have a plan for those costs. And maybe it's not perfect, but have some emergency fund and wiggle room in your budget. If you're putting down less than 20%, leave room for PMI and really just try to build a budget. This is an instance, by the way, where you can ask questions. Call your insurance provider. If you're renting right now, it could be your renter's insurance. If you currently own a home and you're looking at buying a second home, call them and say, here's the neighborhood that I'm looking in. Here's the size house. Can you give us an estimate on what home insurance would be? We know it can't be exact, but give us an estimate on what it would be. In some cases, you can even get estimates on specific Zillow listings. So this is something we did a couple times when we were house shopping, where we reached out to USAA, who is who does our home insurance, and we sent them an address and a listing details, and they gave us an insurance quote. This lets you get as specific as possible. There's a lot of unknowns in homeownership, but you can get as many answers as possible and build a budget that works for your family. Because, like I said earlier, you don't want to buy a house where that's the only thing you get in your budget to enjoy, where you're completely scrimping on everything else to afford your home. That's not a life anybody wants to live. So make sure you're building in housing expenses and some joyful expenses as well, and you can manage that over time. Know what you can actually afford. Our third step is to get help from the experts. I'm all for saving money and avoiding unnecessary expenses. But sometimes the most valuable move you can make is recognizing when you need help. Especially as a first-time homebuyer, you're going to encounter a lot of terminology, requirements, and negotiations that you just don't understand. Having the right help and high-quality help can save you a lot of money in the long term. Here's some experts you need. A real estate agent. Listen, with the world of Zillow and us being able to pull up any listing that we think that we want or Redfin... A lot of people think they don't need real estate agents anymore, and this blows my mind a little bit. There's so many reasons that real estate agents are valuable, and especially when you're buying a home, you're not paying their commission. That's coming out of the seller's pocket, and so you want to make sure you have a really, really good agent. Here's why. One, if you find someone that's good to your local area, they're going to know the neighborhoods. They're going to know the housing values. They're going to have a lot of information for you on whether this is a good price that you're offering. Two, they can negotiate for you. And then you're not the go-between between an agent and their seller. You have your own person that's really navigating the situation for you and is getting you the best price. That's really good. The other thing is that not all listings go on Zillow and Redfin right away. There's things that go on pre-listing uh, that they get to see first and get you into first. So if you're in a fast-moving market, real estate agents can help a lot. The first time we made an offer on a home, we didn't actually go through a purchasing it. We went to contract and then we never signed purchase and sale. What happened was that first time we didn't have a real estate agent. I was looking on Zillow. We thought we had it all figured out. And when we went to view the house with the seller's real estate agent, they offered to co-broke it for us. So they would be our agent and the seller's agent. Obviously, this brings up a ton of conflict of interest stuff. But at first, it wasn't a big deal. We didn't think that there was going to be a lot of changes. Well, during the home inspection... We found out that there was asbestos in the ceiling, okay? It was like this old insulation that can have asbestos in it. 
And we wanted it removed as part of the negotiation that we wanted this removed. As we're trying to settle on a price of how much is the seller going to sell or credit us to remove this insulation, this woman who originally was employed by the seller and who wants the transaction to happen, she's motivated for that transaction to happen as soon as possible, is our go-between. And she couldn't offer us a lot of advice or guidance because her first and primary client was the seller. And so this was a really stressful decision for us. We were talking to our parents. We were trying to decide what to do. We didn't want to back out of the offer because that felt wrong. And so it was way harder than it needed to be. Now, we ultimately backed out because do not avoid uncomfortable situations that can cost you a lot of money just because you don't want to rock the boat or you don't want to have to deal with conflict, okay? If you're having second thoughts, take them seriously and back out if you need to. So we ultimately backed out, which we were really glad about. Then we went on the mission of finding our real estate agent. We've ended up finding Tammy DeWolf, who works outside of Boston. She is incredible. If you live in the Boston area, reach out to Tammy. She is incredible. And we had a meeting with her. We sat down. We really interviewed her, got to know her. She had the perfect personality for us. She was no nonsense. She gave us the real answers. And she asked us some really good questions about what we wanted and what our budget was and what areas we wanted to look in and not look in. And there are houses we looked into, guys, where we would walk into the house and Jeremiah and I would say, wow, this is really nice. We kind of like this. And she would pull us back outside after the tour and say, you don't want this house for this reason, this reason, and this reason. And we would say, great, and walk away and be so glad that we had her guidance. So a good real estate agent can help you so, so much. So find a good real estate agent, interview a couple of them, ask for referrals, find someone who really fits your personality. The second expert you're going to need is a real estate attorney. How many times have you negotiated a fixed six-figure loan? How well do you understand real estate contract terms and what a purchase and sale agreement requires of you? Probably not a lot. And so a real estate attorney handles that for you. Now, chances are it's going to cost you a couple hundred bucks. You want to find someone good. If you really love your real estate agent, ask who she, mo- she he or she most likes working with. That can be a good source. If you're using a local bank to do your mortgage underwriting, ask who they like to work with the best and look for some referrals. Find somebody that you like and that's willing to answer your questions. One of my favorite things about our real estate attorney, both in Boston and when we bought our house in Connecticut, was that I could call with nitpicky questions and she would walk us through everything that we needed. Make sure you're finding somebody who's willing to answer your questions because you are signing a contract and you're buying a huge asset. You want to make sure you understand what's required of you. The last expert I want to make sure we really talk about for a few minutes is the home inspector. If you're purchasing a house with a mortgage, you're going to need a home inspector. Most mortgage providers require you have a home inspection. The reason you want to do this is multifold. First, you want to make sure there's no issues in the house. There's so much stuff that we can't see, especially if you're not a DIYer, if you're not someone who is construction savvy, you might not see where things are off. You might not see where things are not up to code and are going to need to be changed over time. And so you want someone to walk through the house identify the issues, maybe find things that the seller will pay for or fix before you buy the house and save you a whole bunch of money or tell you, hey, nothing is wrong right now, but I see these three things that are going to become an issue in the next couple of years. You're going to need a new roof. You're going to need a new hot water heater and make sure that you can either build that into your budget plan or say, I need to pass on this for now, or I need a reduction in the price to cover these upcoming expenses. That's what a home inspector can really help you do in a good one. This is something, if you're not using a real estate agent, do not use the person recommended to you by the seller's real estate agent. 
This is one of those examples where, of course, I wouldn't assume that the seller's real estate agent is trying to be unfair, but they're more likely to pick somebody that is going to push the sale through than somebody who's really going to get into the details. Okay. And so you either use a recommendation from your own agent, a recommendation from friends or family who have recently bought homes and like their inspector, find someone good. And then when you find them, be present during the inspection. Most inspectors offer this. They'll tell you, you can come and walk through with them, walk through the house with them, ask your questions. And so for us, both times we bought a home, what we really love doing with our inspector is my husband walked around with a notebook. I went with them. And for every major system, he was checking the hot water heater, the HVAC system, filters for the HVAC system, all that kind of stuff. We asked questions of what maintenance needs to be done when, how many times a year, who should we use to maintain these things? And we asked good questions. And so we made a list. So especially as first time homeowners, when you might not know what needs to be done around your home, this is a time to go learn. Use your home inspector as a teacher to guide you through what needs to be done. Okay. Experts going to cost you a little bit of money on the attorney and the inspector, but you want to make sure you're prioritizing those things to save big in the long term. All right. So you're in it for the long term. You know what you can actually afford and you're getting help from the pros. Now it's time for the fun part to start looking at properties. But before we talk about that, let's take a quick pause and hear about our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. All right, let's get real about something. A life insurance policy and an estate plan are must-haves for parents. We need to make sure our kiddos are taken care of financially and emotionally, no matter what happens. But that's not all we need for a robust emergency plan. Because a will or a life insurance policy doesn't tell our loved ones where the documents are, or how to log into your bank accounts, or even your phone. We created the Family Emergency Binder to fill in all those gaps. You don't have to worry about missing anything. It's all laid out for you in an easy to follow, fillable PDF. Make sure your family has everything they need, no matter what, by grabbing your Family Emergency Binder today at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash binder. Welcome back, Mama. Are you ready to start scrolling through Zillow like it's Instagram? Let's talk about our fourth step. The fourth crucial tip is to know what you really, really want. I mentioned before how real estate agents can help you really narrow in on what you want and get you the best property. So when we sat down with our real estate agent in Boston, after that first kind of debacle where we backed out and we hired someone good, we sat down in a Whole Foods cafe, actually, we were all having lunch together, and she wanted us to make a list of what are our deal breakers, meaning things that if the house doesn't have them, we're not even going to go see it. Or if the house does have them, we're not even going to go see them. What are our must-haves, things that are really important to us? And what are our nice-to-haves? And this list was really helpful in a number of ways. First, it helped our real estate agent decide what houses to bring us to see. She had a sense of exactly what we needed and what was important to us. Second, it helped Jeremiah and I really think about what we wanted in our house, right? There's a lot of nice-to-haves. There's a lot of things that you watch HGTV and you're like, that looks amazing. I wish that was in my house. But it's not really a priority and it's not really true to your lifestyle. So it helped us think through that. And then it helps you not get sucked into the emotional part of the home buying process. We mentioned earlier that there's a lot of expectation and emotion when it comes to buying a house, especially buying your first house. And so having a clear vision of what you want and what you need will let you turn down houses that might be really pretty, but don't have what you really need. So I'll give you an example of that as well. There were a couple houses that we looked at 
where we really liked the property, where we really liked the kitchen, but the living room was teeny, teeny, tiny. A couple of those houses we almost got sucked into. We said, well, you know, it has this thing, this double oven in the kitchen that I really like because I bake and it has this beautiful property. Maybe it's okay that the living space is pretty small. And what we would do is we would come back to our core list and say, what are deal breakers? And so deal breakers for us were, we need a space to entertain comfortably. We wanted to be able to have family and friends over and host game nights and let the kids have a big area to play in a common space. And so that was a priority for us. And if it didn't have that, if it had a teeny tiny living room, which a couple of houses we we saw did, then we were going to say no. And what happened over time is we saw a lot of properties is one of my deal breakers became this very funny, if the master bedroom is bigger than the living room, I'm out. And so this was kind of hilarious. My real estate agent thought this was just the strangest rule. But we saw so many houses where the priorities in the architecture had become making these huge master bedroom suites, right, with vaulted ceilings and giant bathrooms. And those are nice. They're pretty. Except how much time do you really spend hanging out in your master bedroom? So I didn't want that to be the priority in the floor plan. If we were only going to have so many square feet, I wanted them to be in places that we would most use them. So we weren't just like heating and spending furniture and time on a space that we weren't going to be in. And so that became one of our deal breakers. But sit down and create that list. If you have a good real estate agent, ask them to go over that list with you and tell you, hey, I'm looking at your list. Based on your budget, you can have these things, but you probably won't be able to get those things. And so what are your priorities even among your deal breakers and your must-haves, okay? And so have that list, know what you really want. Try not to get sucked into the process, especially when there's a lot of people buying, right? And you feel like you're gonna miss out in a hot market ask your questions, slow down, make sure you know what you want. Our fifth and last tip is to ask all your questions. The home search process is the time to ask those questions. Every last one of them. Don't be afraid to be a burden or to be perceived as weird. If you found the right experts, they will be more than willing to get you the information you need. Plus, even if you come off a little annoying, it's a lot harder to get your questions answered after you buy. And then there's not much that can really be done about it at that point. So questions to consider that you might want to ask. Are there warranties on the appliances or any major systems, HVAC or electrical? If there are, does the seller have the paperwork? They don't have to give it to you now, but do they have it for you when you purchase so that you can honor those warranties? And are those warranties transferable, right? A lot of questions about things like that. Can you get an accurate floor plan of the house? So this is another one where I have a funny story. So You probably already have furniture, either in your rental house or in the house that you currently live in. And for us, it was a big priority to know, is our stuff going to fit in the house that we're buying? Or are we going to need to get more furniture? Because this was going to be a budget of what we can afford. And so every time we looked at a house, I would ask our real estate agent, can we get an accurate floor plan? If we couldn't, we requested a second visit, came back with graph paper and a tape measure, and we made our own plan. And the first couple times our real estate agent kind of giggled at us of like, why are you doing this? You're making this huge purchase. Who does it care if your couch fits? And it's like, well, I don't want to buy another couch. And so I want to know. I want to have a sense. Maybe I don't say no because the couch doesn't fit, but I will know how to plan my budget accordingly. Plus, Part of me knowing, feeling my inner inner knowing of whether a house was right for me was doing the floor planning. I love doing that, sketching out on graph paper and really starting to visually be able to see what the house will look like when we're in it. So asking for an accurate floor plan was a big question for me in every house. 
what are the average costs of monthly utilities, both in the summer and in the winter? This is a question that might take a couple of days for the seller to get back to you if they don't keep a normal budget on their own, but they should be able to give you a sense of what is the electrical costs? How many times a year do you have to fill the oil tank if you have oil heat? If you have electrical heat, how high does that get in the summer? Ask some questions. Once again, knowing your budget, there are times that utilities are way, way higher than you think. So when we rented uh, in Connecticut for a little while, when we moved out of Boston and we hadn't bought a house yet, we rented this house in Connecticut. And we were told by the landlord that the utilities would be an average of about $200 a month. Okay. They had this geothermal system. It was new, so he couldn't show me old records about it. They had just put this new system in, but it was supposed to save them a bunch of money and be about $200 a month. That turned out not to be how the system worked. It was less efficient than they thought it was going to be. And in our worst month, it was almost $500. And so I was glad that we asked, but because we asked, we were able to go back and say, hey, this is a lot higher than we expected. Is there anything we can do on the rent or anything that might need to be fixed in the utilities to make this a lower cost? And so ask those questions. What are the costs of monthly utilities? Are there ways to lower your mortgage interest rate? And so when you first get your quotes from mortgage providers, banks, ask if there are any ways to cut that rate down. A lot of banks offer different things where if you bank with them, if you maintain a checking account with them, you can lower your rate a little bit. If you have automatic payments, you can lower your rate a little bit. And so make sure you know what the options are. Don't just take the face value rate as the final rate that you're going to do. You can even say, if I raise my credit score 20 points, would this change my rate at all, right? And so if you're still a couple months out from starting the process, you could do some things to go check your credit report and see if there are any errors and raise your rate a little bit. Home inspector. We talked about those questions that you can ask your home inspector. What maintenance needs to be done to major appliances? What things look like they might need work in the future? What would you change if you were being nitpicky, right? Like, let's get some real questions from them. And then one more question that I want to add to maybe ask your real estate agent. And this is a question that's more specific to if you live near an urban area. But one of the questions to ask is, are there any apartments or developments happening in town? Things that have been approved. If you're coming into a town where you're not as familiar, especially if you're moving states or looking remotely, if you're going to be changing areas for jobs, this is a good question to ask because often the town is aware and the town is having conversations with these developments. And you want to know, is there going to be apartment going up two blocks down? Is the school system getting worried about these new families coming in and, and are they going to have enough capacity for all the students, right? These are good questions to start to ask about the neighborhood. And that's probably the last thing I'd tell you is go spend some time in the neighborhood, drive around, go for a walk. This was one of our favorite things to do uh, when Hank was little was put him in the stroller and go walk around different neighborhoods, see how it feels, get in the car and drive to the grocery store from right in front of the property that you're looking at. Is it a comfortable distance? Is it something that you think that when you need to grab a gallon of milk, it's going to be too far? Or it's going to be a hassle to get over there. Really start to test. Like I've said before, there's going to be a lot of unknowns in homeownership. This isn't going to be perfect. No house is going to be the ideal, amazing situation. You're going to make some sacrifices and compromises, but you can answer as many questions as possible so that you know you're going to be comfortable in that house, that you're going to have the things that you need and that are important to you, and that you have what you need to stay put a little bit longer term. So most of all, don't rush it. This is my biggest piece of advice for first-time homeowners. Take your time. In real estate, especially in hot markets, it can feel like if you don't move quickly, you'll lose out. The reality is that you're making a long-term decision with significant financial consequences. Don't let yourself get sucked into the rush of it all. 
make sure you find a home you are really happy with, can comfortably afford, and realistically maintain. You've got this, mama. Good luck. As a reminder, you can grab your free copy of our Meaningful Money Goal Kickstart Guide and view the full show notes of this episode at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 70. Thank you for hanging out with us today and chatting about real estate. If you liked what you heard, hit subscribe in your podcast app and tell a friend. We love helping more women build wealth and live flourishing, full lives. Keep talking money, mama. I'll see you next time.